So we, uh, this month, as you know, have been doing lessons from the birth of Jesus. Uh, the first week we talked about Joseph, the earthly uh, father of Jesus, and how he was a righteous and just man, and the way he handled conflict, the way he handled uh, situations where he thought he was wronged. Um, we talked about uh, assumptions, and, and we spoke of just his character as a man. Last week, uh, we spoke of the wise men and also Herod, and how the wise men, um, excuse me, are great examples for you and I. How wise men today are like the wise men then. Uh, how they bring gifts and how they worship. Uh, how they sacrifice. How they seek Jesus at all costs. And we should be like them. We also talked about the enemies of Jesus when it came to Herod. And how even today we experience those who seem to stand in direct opposition of Jesus. But we can take encouragement because while there's nothing out of bounds for them. While they will never quit uh, trying to break down what God is building. They will never win. That God's kingdom is unshakable, that it is unbreakable, it will stand uh, forever, uh, because that is the mighty power of our God. And I promise you that this week we will talk about Mary. Uh, And we'll get to her in a few moments, but I just want you to think about for a second that you are walking up to the manger, think of a horse trough, and you look down and you see this little, little boy. And you look at him, what exactly are you looking at when you see this boy? Because it's not just an ordinary boy that's in the manger that we think of when it comes to Jesus. Uh, yes, he is completely human. And he, is, he, is, uh, he experienced everything we experienced because he was just like us in that way. But he is far more than simply just an ordinary boy. Um, he wasn't just another one in that manger. And there's a few things that we need to understand about him from the very beginning that... I think are sprinkled into the beginning accounts of Matthew and Luke. For one, it's not just an ordinary boy. That's God in that manger. I know we've referenced some of these verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He, that boy is, is God that we're talking about. The Word, the Logos, the thing that spoke the earth into existence. Uh, The one who was there, it says, in the beginning, which also implies he was before the beginning. He is eternal. That God became flesh. So as you're looking at this boy, it's not some ordinary boy. This is God himself. Um, This is the eternal God becoming a mortal physical man for some time. This is the form he took when he humbled himself, Philippians chapter 2 says, and became an obedient servant. He is God. You're not simply looking at a boy. He is more than that, or he will become much more than that. But he's also creator. You know, we think of the first verse of the Bible, and I know many of you can, can quote it, right? We just started, right? Beginning. God. In the beginning, God. God is. And it says he created. And when you're a kid, you just think God. But we know as John speaks in these verses... You know, we think of the triune God, the Trinity of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. John describes that the one who created or who spoke everything into existence is Jesus. He's the creator. And so it says there in John chapter 1 verse 3, All things were made through him, by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Whether you can see it or not, whether it's on this earth or in the atmosphere, whether it is molecular at level or whether it's ginormous like an elephant, nothing was made without Jesus. 
that he made it all. And so think about that for a moment, that in this moment, as you look in that manger, what you're seeing is you're seeing the creator becoming created, if you will. Uh, What you're seeing is the very Jesus who created man and woman, the very Jesus who made the way to recreate or reproduce life, the very Jesus who created moms and motherhood, becomes creation and does so by becoming a man and entering earth through a mother. It's a little poetic in a way. And so you're seeing creator. That's the God-man Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully man. And as you look in the manger, that's who you're seeing. Understand, he is light. John keeps talking about that. In him was life, real life. True life was in him. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Overcome it. What is truly good, what is true, what is real, what is uh, meant to shine through sin, shine in all the darkness, that is who you're looking at. He encap- encapsulates that. And he will be that. Jesus, the light of the world. God says, uh, the word became flesh and this has the, and it dwelt among us. That is him. He's light, living and shining actively on this earth. As you keep looking, the beginning accounts keep telling us more about this young little boy in the manger. He's not simply an ordinary boy. He's the Savior. This is salvation. Uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 speaks to this. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Um, This is the Savior. Uh, This boy would become salvation for the whole world. Uh, John would speak about this gift of grace, right? John 3.16 For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, His only one, so that whoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. This is salvation. I mean, these Israel have been longing for this. They haven't heard from God in hundreds of years. They've been oppressed time and time again. They're under Roman occupation and rule, and they're longing and crying out for God. And it's been what it feels like forever to them. And they know someone is coming And now here in this moment, this is God's plan becoming fulfilled. And you see it right here in the manger is the beginning of it. This is not an ordinary boy. This is salvation. And they don't even know this really, but this is not just salvation for them. This is salvation for the entire earth, for all creation. And it's not simply just a Savior. In this manger is Emmanuel. Uh, we, We sing that song a little bit that has the line, you know, Emmanuel, God is with us. That's what that phrase means. It says there the next two verses in Matthew 1. That all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is here, the very presence of God among men. Uh, This God that revealed himself to the prophets, through His creation and through His Word. Now He is revealing Himself by becoming flesh. To an even greater extent now, mankind is, is amongst Him. And He's walking where we walk. And He lived as we now live. And He experienced everything we experience yet without sin, the Hebrew writer would say. This is the very presence of God on earth. Not that He wasn't present before, that He's not with us today as His people, but yet this is His presence And you're looking at this little boy. And this is all of these things he either is or is going to become. He's not an ordinary boy. And lastly, he's king. I'll spend a little time on that. We did the Hall of Faith last quarter. And we looked at some of these things. But 
he is the promised king from long, long ago. He is the fulfillment of promises made generations before this. Uh, remember the promise to Abraham. It was that threefold promise. Uh, the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who, dishon- and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now Abraham had no idea of knowing what that would all mean and entail. But through this promise, God fulfilled this in the greatest way through Jesus. Through through Jesus, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And this promise of a king continued. It was sprinkled throughout the Old Testament. 2 Samuel 7, 12-14. And this was fulfilled, uh, this was to David, fulfilled in Solomon to some degree. Not everything in this passage finds its fulfillment in Solomon. But to even a greater degree, some of this is absolutely fulfilled in Jesus in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12, When your days are fulfilled, he's speaking to David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Yeah, there is some fulfillment there in reference to Solomon, but in a dual way, there's fulfillment in Jesus. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. At verse 16, he would say, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This promise that was made of this coming king continued. And you find this fulfillment in Jesus. And Mary was told from the very beginning that this boy would be this way. You ever heard that song, um, Mary, Did You Know? I'll be honest with you, I've never heard it. I'm not lying. I've never heard the song. But I'm a, I know it has a bunch of questions in it, right? Like, Mary, did you know how important your boy is going to be? Yes. <laughs> the answer, by the way, not to everything in that song, but to a lot of it is yes. Uh, yes, he did. Because uh, Gabriel tells her that. Um, she wouldn't have known how God would do many of the things he said he would do or in what way it would be fulfilled or completely really wrap her head around it. But she knew this, this child's not just some ordinary child. This is the promise of God. This is God's working. Uh, But look in Luke chapter 1 and verse 31 through 33. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. We have this king language. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This... This boy's going to be king. And Jesus came to be king. Now, Israel thought this Messiah was to be some physical, ruling, political power, military leader and strategist who would free them from oppression and rule over the land and, and bring Israel back to a place of prominence. And we know that's not really Jesus' purpose or what he came to be. But he absolutely was king. And while they might have not understood the kind of king he came to be, or the kind of kingdom he came to build, uh, he was king. He was a king uh, unlike any other. I mean, you cannot compare him to any king that's ever lived on this earth. Uh, he wasn't born in a palace, was he? There wasn't satin sheets, not a silk comforter. 
There wasn't plenty of space or hundreds of nannies and people to take care of him and all the resources in the world. No, he's born in a manger. Look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, which that word horse trough is another way of uh, translating that, because there was no place for him in the inn. I'm pretty sure a king on earth, a physical king on earth, they'd find room for him, don't you think? It's like when a celebrity shows up to a hotel and they say they're booked, and it's like, oh, actually, we got a room for you. Like, we can make it work for you. Like a restaurant, same thing. Oh, you're a king? We'll find a way. We'll kick someone else out. This Jesus, they have room for him. Just give a manger. He wasn't born, born in a palace. He was born in a manger. Uh, he wasn't born rich, was he? Uh, he didn't come into this world with a whole lot. His father was a carpenter. No, oh, sorry. Uh, his father was a carpenter. Uh, a blue-collar, hard-working family that lived day-to-day. Um, think about when they went to Egypt. Um, they probably had to use the gifts of the wise men to simply get there. They probably had to sell some of that because they didn't have a whole, whole bunch. Uh, he wasn't born rich. Uh, he was born in hum- with humble means. Uh, he wasn't born into comfort. I mean, look at this. In Matthew chapter 2, and verse 13, we talked about it last week. Um, the moment he's born, or very quickly after he's born, it's not just peace, is it? It's from, it seems like the moment he's born, people are seeking his life. It says, when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. He wasn't born into comfort. People seek his life from the beginning. It's, it's not five-star accommodations. It's not peaceful strolls. Uh, this is stressed out parents. It's power hungry, hungry rulers. This is the life he was born into. He wasn't born into power. He wasn't born into a high position on earth. He didn't have power over all the people when he entered this world. He was born into humble beginnings. And it's interesting that a king unlike any other, who had a start unlike any other king, continues with that theme throughout his whole uh, life, doesn't he? When you read the Gospels about King Jesus, he doesn't sound like a typical king, does he? He didn't seek political power. He didn't want to rule over every bit of land he, he walked on. No, he wanted to rule every heart of every man he encountered. Uh, he didn't punish his enemies, did he? Now, what did he do? He loved them. He turned the other cheek. That's the king that came. Uh, they ask you to go one, you go two miles. He came different from every other king. I mean, look at Herod. You want to compare him to a king? Compare him to the king of the time where he was born. Doesn't sound much like that kind of king. He didn't accumulate wealth for himself on earth. He gave everything of himself freely. And we know he would give all of himself freely on a cross. He didn't serve with conceit or arrogance. He knew who he was and he wasn't shy about that. But he didn't serve with arrogance or haughtiness or conceitedness. He served with compassion. He put the interest of others over himself, Paul would say in Philippians chapter 2. He didn't crush his enemies with the fist. He crushed his enemies with a cross. That is that, who that boy would be or is in that manger. And you're probably thinking, John, I thought we were talking about Mary tonight. Because <laughs> you spent the whole time on Jesus. Which is the first time you'll ever say, why are you talking about Jesus, by the way? Uh, but here's why. I think the more you understand who the boy in the manger is the more you appreciate what Mary did. Um, we've had some applications this, the last two weeks, you know, looking at these people and how we relate or how we should be like them or what we should do. 
And I'll tell you, this week, the more I read about Mary, simply for me, the more I started to be thankful for her. There's lessons to stand out and pull out about her life. But as I read about her, I just couldn't help myself saying, man, I'm really thankful for a woman like Mary and what she sacrificed. And we'll get to some feedback and comments in just a second. But I want you to look at Luke chapter 1 and start reading with me in verse 26. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. This is the section where Luke tells of when Mary finds out she's going to have a child, who the child's going to be. Uh, this section really is not, is not mentioned in any other gospel about when she finds out. It wasn't mentioned in Matthew. It, it, Luke does record it. And so we're going to look at that. Uh, in verse 26, starting in Luke 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph and of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The more you understand who the boy is, I think the more as you read Mary's story and what happened with her, I think the more you come to appreciate her and the life she lived. How did Mary react to the news? As we read that, what do you notice? How does she react? Confused, okay? Why do you say confused? Yeah, that might be one part. Um, I'm a little confused here. Uh, I'm going to have a child. I think there's um, something missing in that equation, right? Um, so, yeah, there's probably some confusion, right? How will this be, right? That's what she says. How will this be? By the way, what's interesting is uh, Elizabeth, it mentions her. Her husband, his, his, uh, his question to the angel is not how will this be, it's how could this be? You know, how could that even be possible? Her is how will this be? Which maybe that's similar. Or maybe she's saying, oh, okay, I believe you can do it, God, but just what's the way it's going to happen? But yeah, there's some confusion, we would say. How else does she react? Let it be so. What would you say that is? What? Acceptance. Acceptance? Okay, how, how else might, might we describe that? Faith. Um, if you had to put New Testament people in the Hall of Faith, we kind of talked about that last quarter. Joseph probably would have been there. I think Mary goes there too. Where do you see reactions of faith? You said, let it be so. What verse is that? It's, uh, it's 38, right? Yeah, behold, I am the servant 
of the Lord, let it be to me according to my plans. No. Let it be according, let it be to me according to what I thought was going to happen. No. Your word. Let it be. Uh, and then the angel departed from her. That's one of faith. Yeah, there's great faith here. She didn't say, God, I have other plans. <laughs> she didn't say, God, you know, that's going to cause me some real challenges and discomforts. Um, God, I don't know about this. No, it was, God, um, whatever your will is, let it be done. At your word. She's a servant. You see real trust, real faith in this moment. Uh, what else is her reaction? Anything else? Probably surprised, yeah, for sure. That kind of goes with the confused, maybe surprised, shocked. You know, one we didn't read is if you go down just a little bit, look at verse 46. This is after she goes and speaks with Elizabeth. We sing some songs based off this passage. If you want to start reading in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. This is your uh, alto part for that song, Magnificat, that four-part song we sing all the time. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Real quickly, pause right there. Notice what she says. He who is mighty has done great things for who? Is her situation easy that she's about to have? Because what's going on? I mean, so she's going to be with child. <laughs> and what's her uh, relationship situation? Unmarried. She's unmarried. Well, she's betrothed, right? So, and they haven't been together. So it's um, people might think I'm unfaithful. There's potential punishment. What will my uh, betrothed think? What will the community think? How will they respond? Then there's also just the whole life challenge there too. But, and she says, no, that's not a problem. She says, he has done great things for me. That's the way she looks at it. And holy is his name. Verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away from, uh, sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring. Forever. What's her reaction to all of this there? It's praise. It's thanksgiving. Maybe we would react with faith, but if we're being completely honest, and she might have had some other reactions in the moment too, shocked, um, scared, a little bit of fear. Maybe that's why the angel said, hey, do not be afraid. Don't be so troubled. But if that happened to you and I, Might have gone dead on me. Let's see. How would you have reacted if you were Mary? Ladies, what do you think? <laughs> in that culture, in that time, in that situation. <laughs> Why me? And hers is, thank God it's me. Look what God's done for me. Yeah, you had, a, you had your hand raised in the back, Billy? And, uh, when Mary said, Behold, that your handmaid of the Lord, let it be unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed. He didn't have to talk her into it. Hmm. He was careful of the fact that she's going to accept what God has told her to do, and he went on his way, and she's going on her way. 
Yeah. You're talking about great faith here. You know, the angel even had faith in Mary that you're going to do what I brought forth from the Word of God, that you're going to do it. Yeah, she, she, was, she accepted the will of God. He didn't have to, at least what we see, he didn't have to just, well, let's have a talk about this for, you know, let's work through these details. It was, she, was accept, she accepted it, yeah. What she did was a great act of submission mm. and said, you know, Lord, your will be done. And that's exactly what that baby did later in his life. He mm. submitted and said to God, your will be done. Yeah, she, there is great submission there, isn't it? Submission is, I like to find a submission as, um, to submit means to bend your will to the will of another. Like if, if you ever see cage fighters and they try to tap each other out, it's like they both want to win, but at some point when you can't breathe and your eyes are going black, you tap out, I bend my will to you, that's kind of what you're saying. I don't know what her will was, but she bent her will to his. I accept your will, and you're right, because her son would do the very thing in the garden, didn't he? You know, God, if there's any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. It's a great example of submission. Yeah, Larry. Maybe that's why God chose Mary, because he knew how she would react. Yeah, maybe God picked Mary and Joseph for reasons. And we don't know all of that. It doesn't tell us, you know, here's why he picked you, or that he couldn't do it without Mary or Joseph. That's not the case. But maybe God knew their character and knew how important it was uh, for them to be his earthly parents. Uh, but it's just interesting. How would we react if we were her? I don't know if we would. Um, maybe we would. Maybe we'd struggle a little bit with that. Um, but she is one who praises. Yes. She also is aware of how a greater blessing it is. Not just in the immediate future. But uh, she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's acknowledging that this is a great blessing to me, not just because, you know, the immediate future might have a king or, you know, uh, get riches or whatever. It wasn't any of that, but uh, how special this, this child is and that she's being blessed because of this as well, not just for 10 years or the life of the child, but all generations. Yeah. She has that ability to acknowledge that. Yes. Yeah, she sees him as a blessing now, but also in the future as well. And of course, did she understand what he was going to do? Did, he, did she understand the death, the burial, the resurrection? Did she understand the type of kingdom he was going to build? No. But she understood this child is an answer, and it's a fulfillment of a promise. And this is a special child who's going to bless uh, the world. And it still shocked her, probably how it all happened and what what resulted from it, but she says, yeah, his is a blessing of a child. But she stops and praises at the will of God and how it interacted and, and changed her life. We've, we've talked about how Jesus entering the world changed the lives of many people, like it changed Herod's for the worse. It, it changed the wise men. It changed Joseph. It absolutely changed hers, maybe more than anybody else. Yeah, Marty. All the things that we're reading that she said is, in fact, what she said, what interesting to me, you, you kind of been asking this question, what are the things she didn't say? Yeah. She, she didn't say, what am I going to tell my husband? <laughs> oh, sure, an angel came and told me. That, what am I going to tell my family? What's going to happen to me now? What's Joseph going to do when he finds out? How, is, how There weren't any questions like that, at least nothing in the text. Yeah. It's like, hey, you're going to tell me this? We're going to be good with it. Let's go. Yeah. And then, she put it in the hands of God. Yeah. yeah. And did God take care of it? Yeah. He would go speak to Joseph, too. Like he, he worked all that out. Don't know the time frame, 
but necessarily. But uh, yeah, she she left it in the hands of God. She accepted and submitted, and she went forward and uh, with it. And so I just wonder, you know, will we react the same way with Mary? Because um, I don't think God's asking you to carry a child as a virgin, but does God not sometimes seem to have wills that might not fit our own will completely? And maybe call us to do things that we weren't planning on doing. Well, if he just sent an angel, it'd be different. Yeah, yeah. If he just, if only God would communicate a different way about some of these things. Um, but yet, yeah. She probably never saw an angel before. How would she know really this angel's from God? Hello, my name's Gabriel. Yeah, yeah, hello, my name is sticker. You know those stickers you got all those like awkward, those awkward work functions, like the Christmas party you go to. It's like, oh, you're John, you're in IT, whatever, you know. That's Gabriel Angel. Um, yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I mean, Gabriel's mentioned some other places in Scripture, but we, won't, we wouldn't know. And there's a lot of things about angels that I'm not even going to try to get into uh, tonight. But just, I think you learn from her. Re- Yeah, it was a different time then, and and God did often speak through the men, to the men or work through the not work through the men, but He would go to the men in communication more often. Although there are times with women, but in this situation, I just don't know how you make this plan come together without talking to Mary. You know what I mean? It's kind of I think she has to be told a little bit. Um, but yeah, I don't know that how how would she have known or did he you know how did he confirm that? I'm not sure, but she has faith. She trusts in this uh, at the word of the Lord. And so I think one thing for us is just how we how do we react when God's will maybe changes our own, or when they when those two hit each other, what is our reaction? Which one do we follow? Are we thankful for how God's working in our life and what He's calling us and wanting to do with us? Uh, but as I think about lessons from Mary, and we're not getting into all the details of this story or all the other people, but just like I said earlier. I, it makes me, one, just very thankful for her. One, I'm thankful for her faithfulness to do what the Lord willed. If you look at verse 38, as we've said before, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She chose to follow God's plan and not the one she had predetermined in her head. She was faithful. She was committed. She trusted There wasn't complaining or anger or resistance that we see. She adapted her life to what God willed. And I think she teaches us to be committed to his cause, regardless of how it affects our own way and our own life. I'm thankful for her attitude and praise in this situation. I think she reminds us to pause and and praise. I would... I would imagine all of us would agree that we have blessings every single day in this life. We have the expected ones, and we have the unexpected ones. And how often do we pause and praise God for the, for the blessings in our life? You ever find yourself struggling with that? We're just, we go and we go and we go, and we're kind of, we're happy with things, with certain things in our life, or we're thankful, but we don't actually pause and praise and for her, she takes this whole moment to just simply praise God. And I think she reminds us of this too, um, that in life we need to pause and praise. Uh, we, need to be, we need to shout to the Lord with joy. Uh, we need to cry out with thanksgiving. We need to pray. We need to shout. We need to sing. God 
is doing wonderfully good things in our life and blessing us tremendously. And he deserves some of the praise. He deserves it. And so she teaches us how to respond to blessings in our life. I'm also thankful for the disciple she became. If, you're, if you know her story, she wasn't just only a mother, was she? She became a great disciple. Like when the disciples of Christ after his resurrection are praying in Acts chapter 1, you know who's there? Or the apostles? Mary. She's there at the cross. She's there after the resurrection. She's faithful. Uh, I don't know. If she, it appears at the beginning she might have been a little skeptical of Jesus. Her and her family, it says in the Gospels. But she came to believe and trust and she lived a life of faithfulness. Um, you know, imagine if that was your boy that you had to then bow down to. <laughs> Can you even imagine that, by the way? Um, you know, like John, imagine your son becomes king of the whole creation. It's like, commit your life to him. It's like, that's my boy that I cleaned his diaper at one point. Like, what? But no, she was a, she was a faithful disciple that she became. Um, she didn't understand perfectly who her son would be, but over time, she committed herself to him and was that strong disciple. And so I'm thankful for Mary. And then I have one more, and then I just kind of want to see what you think about her. Uh, But I I also, I thank God for mothers. You know, that's, man, you guys are spot on. That was was a softball for you to knock it out of the park with your wives, and you you aced it, okay? That was just a thank God for mothers. Every guy should have been like, amen, right, honey? You know, um, but... And this goes to ladies uh, in general. Uh, moms, I, I can't tell you how important, I can't tell you enough or in a, in a good way how important you are to the kingdom and to the gospel. Um, you hear that on Mother's Day. Um, fathers, you don't hear that on Father's Day. Uh, but I hope you know that far more than just then. Uh, the kingdom God built took, God did it. And he used many men and women and sometimes we talk about the ones who've come before us and they laid a foundation. We talk about the, the foundation of the prophets and the apostles and all these people laid. And sometimes we get focused on these men we read of that go out as missionaries. But understand, the church is not built the way it was without women. It took many women to help God's cause. Um, I can't tell you how important a role you are to the kingdom and the gospel still today. Listen, the flashy role might not be yours. Or the role of... The public face or this loud vocal role in front of a church or this role of um, a position of leadership in a local church might not be your sure. But that doesn't make the role you play any less needed or important. You're absolutely vital to a church and to God's kingdom. I think about raising children. That's a ministry. Uh, You guys who say, you know, I'm a minister. We're all ministers. But you are in ministry with your children. You are in ministry in your homes. Uh, you are serving the Lord by serving your children. As you nurture them and care for them and love them and raise them and guide them, you are reflecting the love and character of Jesus to them. You're in ministry. Uh, moms, keep pointing your children to Jesus. You are doing kingdom work when you do that. Uh, I hope you don't think you're doing that just to raise good, upstanding, moral citizens. Like, that's great. We want those. But what you're doing is far more important than that. And you might never know how impactful you are. You will probably, and this goes for all parents, you will probably never know the impact you have on your children and their faith until the other side of eternity. 
you will not know it. But as you serve in this role, as you minister to them and raise them, I understand you are helping the kingdom grow. Yeah. You could have stopped it. They're probably more effective teachers. And I just would have said. <laughs> no, you're right. Women do too nowadays. But in fact, if you look at the, the, the church family, typically there's a lot of people are families are kind of, mothers are kind of the influential force, really. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and... and I mean, mothers, fathers, all of them, they're invaluable to a child and to raising them. And, and mothers, I th- when I think of Mary and ladies, just when it comes to her being a disciple, you are invaluable to the kingdom. And I, we don't always do the best job of highlighting all the things you do. It's, it's a list too long to even, dis- you know, write out. But you are needed and you are doing something that Jesus is so thankful for. Someone say, yeah. I just say, Talking about Mary, I can't help but think about the second chapter of John where they're at that wedding feast in Canaan. And she just comes to Jesus and says, they're out of wine. It's time. <laughs> and he says, woman, what's that got to do with me? And then, and then she looks at the servants and says, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. It's like his first public miracle, his first public sign, because that's what John was all about, the signs that Jesus did, was because of his mom. When, when would the first one have been? I don't know, but I know the first one was because his mom said, hey, you're out of wine. Yeah. And that's all she had to say. Give me the look, I guess. And I'll <laughs> tell you, <laughs> the, look, the dreaded look. Um, I think sometimes we, we struggle to comprehend the humanity of Jesus, that he was a normal person like you and I, um, that he literally walked, that he laughed, he probably he made jokes, he had a favorite food. You know, he had a favorite place to go to. He enjoyed things. Like, I think we struggle with that sometimes. And don't, don't you and I need a mom in life? You think he needed one? Especially with what he was doing? Yes. Yeah. Well, we're her parents. Yeah. To raise a daughter. Or if, if they weren't like that and she became this on her own. I mean, you, you wonder, though. But she must have had a profound impact on his life. And maybe was an incredible encourage, encouragement to him in his ministry. I mean, you think about the cross when he says, you know, woman, behold thy son. When you think about it, Mary had found favor in her heart. And he had picked her to be the influence for his son. And, you know, she said, here I am. And like we mentioned earlier, Jesus said, I'm not the That's basically Treasure this in her heart. It says, I think, two times in two different passages in these, these early ones. Yeah. Do you have a thought? She was 
we forget sometimes she was so young with the, the faith that she had and the, the ability to say, you know, I'm yours, Lord, I'll, I'll serve you. Yeah. And yet she was still so young. Yeah, they got married a little earlier in that time, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's very young, but she has a faith like that. Um, but, I mean, as we close, I think, I pray that, you know, we think about this, this birth story. And I know the whole world's thinking about it. <clears throat> and for one, I, I hope we understand who that boy is. And I pray that people, when they think about this story, they'll, they'll come to realize that that boy is king and creator and God and savior and with us. But he needs to be king, creator, and God of your life. And I pray people will come to know that. And I, but I also think we need to have a profound appreciation and thankfulness for God choosing to come to earth and become flesh. But it makes me very thankful for all the women and ladies and mothers who have impacted and are impacting the kingdom of God today. Amen. Uh, because uh, a church is only as strong you know, as the people who make up of it. A healthy church needs strong women. Women who work, women who serve, and Mary's that kind of woman. And I know we have that here, and I, it just makes me very thankful for it. So I hope you get something out of that. Thanks for being a part of this kind of little Birth of Jesus series. And remember, next week we will be at Eastside for our end-of-year uh, service. And I appreciate you being here, and that's it. Good evening.